Alright, you guys. We we have we have a special something for you this morning. Um we have a delay. Oh For sure. Yes. So so that is super exciting. I mean, honestly, like the, the day after her surgery, she was up and walking, which is just why I've had a knee scope done before, and you're not up walking the second day. Yes. In fact, you stand up, the blood rushes, and you want to die. So <laughs> it's painful. That's incredible. Okay. So, I, um, if you guys, while you're back there, if you can just kind of listen, because I, I want to preface what's going on. <laughs> this has become a whole theatrical thing. Um, last week, God really wanted to seed a word in some different people in the room. And we are too slow to respond to what it is that God has spoken. And so, Halfway through the week, God starts talking to me about Alex all over again. And, and what God said about him last week was that he will preach the good news, right? Like most of you were in the room, you heard it. And, and that his hands were to heal and not hurt and that his words were to heal and not hurt. And he and I had a whole conversation afterwards that whether it, it got off the ground or not, I am still unsure, but <laughs> we still had a conversation. And so I reached out to Mike and Christy, and I was like, I really feel like this is something that I'm supposed to do, that um, I want to incorporate him in what it is that, that we're doing this morning. Because faith works by action. You have to action faith. And and so, um, so what we are about to see is that seed that God planted last Sunday is about to break open. And he'll probably be very upset with me for saying so. But I'm going to tell you one other thing that happened this week that my mind is still trying to wrap itself around. But um, so God also had a word for Zane. And and it was about playing the guitar. And it, if you know Zane, you know he doesn't play the guitar. Um, but I, And I was tied up all week. I have had very little time to myself or with my family. And so on, I think it was Friday, sometime Friday, John lets me know that Zane went out and bought himself a guitar. First thing last week. Faith has to be actionized, right? And so that was such a gift to me to know that, that he did something with what it is that God spoke over him. I mean, that's honestly, that should also be so, it is, it's huge. These are, these are the kinds of things that, that I want us to get a little bit fanatical about. And, and I, I got onto him yesterday on the way home. I was like, so did you make purchase this week? <laughs> and he's kind of like, uh, you know, they, they a little bit private kind of like his mama, but, um, it, it was just, it blessed me. It blessed me so much to, to know that he was going to do that. So what we are about to see is the seed 
of God's word book open. Alex, do you want to come out and say anything first, or are you just going to go full on? Go going full on. So here we go, you guys. Do you do you need a microphone? Do you need a mic? This is on to be good. I just told everybody to be good. Hey, Peter, let's go pray. Okay. You build this up here. Got any silver? Say what? You got any money? Do we have money? I don't think we do. I don't have any money. No money. But but what he has, he will give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Oh, yay! I'm so happy for you. Yes. Never mind. <laughs> We're done. I have to put some on guys. So thank you, actors. I, I I do feel a little deflated that there wasn't any weeping about, but it's whatever. <laughs> nice. All right. Again, Chelsea's father-in-law, Walter, not the man that was in. Um, that's that's incredible. Here we go, Jesus. Do your thing. Okay, so we've read the story. We all read it together. Acts three verses one through eleven about the man that was lame from birth that received a healing. And Alex and I talked yesterday through this whole story, and he was so excited and and also getting the story mixed up with Jesus healing people earlier on. And, and still, it was so exciting. And then Alex let me know that Caleb is his favorite of all the Bible characters. Anybody else love Caleb? I do. I love Caleb. And um, let's... I know we already read this, but I want to read through it again, and we're going to just stop along the way. Uh, now, Peter and John were going up into the temple at the ninth hour prayer. So Peter and John were already going to the temple for prayer because they prayed multiple times a day at the temple. This is a, this is a point where we should pause and ask. 
Why are Peter and John going to the temple to pray? Jesus has made it clear in his ministry, especially in his conversation with the woman at the well, because if you remember that story well, she's like the victim, right? We aren't allowed to go into the temple to pray, right? They weren't allowed because they weren't the right kind of Jews. They were a mixed breed, if you will, of Jews. And Jesus' response to her is, Woman, I tell you the truth, that a day is coming when you will neither pray in the temple or in other places. You'll be, pray, you'll be free to, to pray and worship anywhere. And so old habits die hard, right? Peter and John don't have to go to the temple to pray, but they are choosing to go to the temple to pray. Verse 2, And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried there, as you saw displayed in great theater, was being carried there, whom they had laid day by day at the door of the temple, which is called Beautiful. And he was sat there to ask for alms from those entering the temple. Great plan, right? He doesn't have any other way of making money, but he's certainly capable of holding some kind of a, what? A glass jar? Perhaps it was a glass jar. I don't know. It just says that he was collecting alms. He was asking for money by any, from anyone that passed by. Now, even in our small town, there is a, a corner in town where there is typically somebody standing with a sign saying, no home, no food, no gas, need money. Sometimes these signs have so many words on them that they're really small and you can't read them. But the point is, not the sign, because you know why they're there. They need money. And this isn't any different. This man has been lame from birth. He has never, ever walked. Can you imagine? Never. He has never walked. And this is his occupation. He is brought to the gate called Beautiful and is set there. My guess is they probably have a plan. They set him there, and then they return at some point in the day to collect him, to take him back home. But this is his occupation. This is what he does. He begs for money. At Gate Beautiful. I think that we have learned at the begin- from the beginning of this, this series, the beginning of the year, that we need to investigate everything. Anyone? Anybody reading their Bibles differently in the last few weeks than you have in the, the, the years prior where you're investigating every little I am? I am like investigating what does that mean? What is the history behind that? I need to know. I need to know like gate beautiful. What is gate beautiful? Gate beautiful has several names actually. The Eastern Gate, the Golden Gate. The gate of mercy. And gate beautiful is set on the eastern side of the temple. Now I want us to, to think back 
to, I believe, maybe September, I think it was in September, when Vince taught about camp life. Do you guys remember this? And he got into how the camp was set up. And, you know, they, they had already been split into different tribes. And, and, and Moses instructed them of how they were supposed to set up their camp. And I meant to, I actually brought it with me. I just kept bringing it upstairs. Um, but how they were set up. And, and there was the camp of Judah. And Judah would have had the tribes of Judah, Zebulon, and somebody help. Anybody remember what Clarion was? Judah. This is why I meant to bring it upstairs with me. Zebulon, Judah, and and um, the one the, the the times in space. Issachar, thank you. So it's Judah, Zebulun, and Issachar. We're all situated on the eastern side of the tent of meetings. And it was known as the tent of Judah. Judah faced the entrance to the tent of meetings. This is, I think, really important that we understand that the same thing, like, they would have looked at camp life like we did back in September. They would have looked at that. Solomon would have looked at that. David would have looked at that when David, because David really wanted to be the one to build the temple, and God was like, no, it's not your job. Kind of called you to do that. They would have looked at the history. And so when the temple was built, they would have known that this is the history, the setup that God indicated they were to do. And so the various gates that were around the, the temple or the wall, remember there's a wall that's constructed around Jerusalem. The various gates are likened to the same way that the tribes are set up in Kippah. It's fascinating. So gate beautiful, or the mercy gate, or the golden gate, or the eastern gate, whichever is your favorite, is set up in the exact proximation to the temple as the camp of Judah. What does Judah mean? What? Praise. Judah means praise. We also talked about that in our foundation series. What is praise? Do we know what praise is? And we read through the prophetic word that Jacob, or Israel, also his name, would have spoke over Judah. And we also talked about how Judah got his name in the first place. Judah was born to a scorned woman. She was second choice. Because there were two wives. And she would have been the second choice. And she named every one of her sons after the way she was feeling. But she got to Judah and she says, this I will praise him. And she names him Judah. She sets aside her own grief, her own state of being and says, I have found him worthy. Ultimately, that's what praise puts her eyes on. It's not my ability to sing a song. It's not my ability to play an instrument. It's my ability to set my eyes on the worthy one. That's praise. Praise is allowing my mouth to be filled 
with words that magnify the one who is worthy. Yes? So gate beautiful is this same space. It's Judah. It's the gate of Judah. Turn with me. We're going to go to Psalm 24. If you know the psalm, you know where we're going. This is fascinating to me. Psalm 24, starting in verse 1. The earth is Jehovah's and its fullness, the habitable land and those who dwell in it. For it is he who founded it upon the seas and established it upon the streams. Who may ascend the mountain of Jehovah? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood or sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from Jehovah and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, those who seek your face, even Jacob. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, O long, enduring doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? Jehovah, strong and mighty. Jehovah, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift up, O long, enduring doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? Jehovah of hosts. He is the King of glory. What gate? What gate is it? that this king of glory is coming through. It's the eastern gate. It's gate beautiful. It's the gate that he would have rode through on a donkey. Do you remember this scene? Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And the people pour out into the streets. And they start waving palm branches and they're like, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They're releasing praise to the king of glory. Not only that, they're taking their outer garments off and they're throwing them on the road before Jesus. In honor of who he is because their eyes have been opened and they can see who it is that he was. And they're the same people, the very same people. Stay with me. They're the same people. One day, they're crying out, Hosanna, I know who he is. I recognize him. These are the same people that would have gathered together yelling, crucify him. One day, their mouth is filled with one form of praise. And the next... They're spouting a different phrase altogether. Same people. Very same people. But that's an aside. The gate that Jesus would have rode through would have been this same gate that this man who was lame from birth was sat at. All right, go back to Acts 3. 
And he, the guy begging, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, began to ask to receive alms. And Peter, gazing at him with John, said, Look at us. And he turned his attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. Can you imagine this moment? Like, really put yourself in this place. Like, you're the one. Have you ever been in need of money? You know, like, you're in need of money, and you're like, come on, I'm looking for a sign anywhere that somebody's going to give me something to provide for my daily bread. Um, that's this guy. He's like, you got it. I'll look right into your eyes. Verse 6, but Peter said, Silver and gold I do not possess. I want to pause there because let's think back to what it is that we know about Peter. Peter's a fisherman, yes? Right? Yes. So when, when Jesus found Peter, he's, he's a fisherman. What else do we know about Peter? Peter had taxes. Peter was in financial trouble. He was desperate. He was a desperate man. He was somebody who could not find a way to provide for himself. And his own trade was cursing him, you could say. He wasn't able to, he wasn't able to catch anything. He was stumbling at every turn. He could do nothing right. Come on, put yourself in this place. Peter couldn't do anything right. Nothing was working. He was at the end of his life. Failure. Not even the fish would jump into his net. He owes taxes. Because this is not a lenient people that he would be dealing with. Peter's trying to provide for his family. And he knows that his life is literally on the line and the livelihood of his family. And then Jesus comes along. And Peter, Peter's wounded. He's in a wounded space when Jesus comes along. I would imagine Peter's even, he's a good Jewish boy, but he's angry. And his anger is probably directed toward God. You said! These people, they would have known Jehovah Jireh. They know God as the provider. They know all the stories. So Peter's probably has all of these different stories running through his mental space where he's like, yeah, well, that's just a story. Yeah, you provided food every day. You provided bread. You provided meat. But look at me. You're not providing for me. He becomes a victim at God's hand. And Jesus comes walking back. 
He's like, hey, throw your net out one more time. Can you imagine? Peter's looking for a professional at this point. Somebody who understands his trade. Somebody who's just going to unload their catch. And this guy comes along. He's like, hey, just, just give it one more chance. You know, have you ever been encouraged by somebody who just feels like they're obnoxiously compassionate? And you're like, just shut up. Like, I've done it all. I've tried it all. And if we're honest, I'm sure that's how this moment was for Peter, where he's like, I was raised in this. Who are you? Sure, I've heard stories about this man who's suddenly, you know, on the rise and he's preaching. But listen, I'm a fisherman. What do you know about that? I don't know what pushed Peter into to doing it anyway, but he did. He goes out, he, he throws his head out, right? And we know the story. Suddenly, he has the catch of a lifetime. And his boat is filled with fish. And I guarantee you, the first thing through Peter's mind isn't, who is this man? It's, I could make a boatload off of this. Peter is ruled by silver and gold because of his name. I want to tell you, I want to tell you the backstories of these things so that we're not just like dismissing what's actually taking place. So when Peter comes up to this man and he's begging for money and he's like, I don't have any silver or gold. And can you hear the giddiness in his voice? I don't, I don't have that. And I think that what we could do is probably turn the words around and be like, that doesn't rule me anymore. But what does is what you do. Remember, Peter is the same guy that is with Jesus. He's with the disciples. And Jesus is like, there's a lot of talk going on in town. What is it that people are saying about you? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a teacher. And Jesus is like, okay, but who do you think that I am? And Peter has this moment of revelation where he, he, he has a glimpse into the heavens, into the unseen realm, and he's like, Up to this point, this is not a known fact. They just like the guy. He's just a good guy to follow. He provides fish. And they're hearing the rumors too, and they're trying to draw conclusions on their own. But when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Revelation is opened up over Peter, and Peter catches it. And Jesus says to him, that's it. I am. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting on. Right? And Jesus says, on this, I will build my church. 
her off a cliff. On the rock of revelation of Jesus being the Christ. That's what Jesus will build his church of. On the revelation of Christ. That's what Peter has in his mind. He offers Christ. Let's keep reading. Peter said, silver and gold I don't possess, or it doesn't possess me. But what I have, this I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up and walk. I just have a question for us. Are we a people that know the needs of humanity prior to the event? Do we know what needs to be seated in one another prior to the need arising? Can we see past what is being presented in the human being before us and hear and see the revelation of what is being needed? For Peter to say, silver and gold doesn't possess me anymore because I am possessed by another. And even more so at this point, because he was just encountered by Holy Spirit. He's possessed by something completely different. Someone completely different. He offers the man not what he's asking for, but what he knows is needed. I don't have silver and gold, sir. But what I do have, I freely give to you. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. There's no further conversation. No further conversation. He simply gives what he does have. This is what I know. This is what I have. Jesus. I offer you Jesus. This should be our response. I offer you Jesus. Yes, I see you are broken, but I offer you Jesus. And he seized him by the right hand and raised him up and Instantly, his feet and ankles were made strong. Instantly, his feet and his ankles were made strong. And we can look into this right here and realize that Luke, the physician, is the writer. And so he's giving away clues of what was actually probably wrong with the man. There's something wrong with his feet and ankles. Some theologians have dug into this and believe that there was probably dislocation in his ankles that would have made his feet crippled. And that for them to, to come back in would have made them more solid and he could stand and put weight on it, which I think is fascinating. But it's Luke, so we know that he's being intentional about what he's including. However, we can't really draw conclusions because we just simply do not know. Nonetheless, the man's healed, right? One second, he's a man whose occupation is begging. And the next second, he is standing with sheer power coursing through his body 
and has no other occupation in this moment but praise. Standing there at the threshold of gate beautiful. Praise becomes this man's occupation. And not just simple praise like you and I are comfortable with. Swaying ever so slightly with our shoulders hunched and, and kind of caving in our body as to not be too flamboyant, just praising. Or maybe we're a little more radical and we're praising. And maybe sometimes we even let a little Jesus out and we're praising. No, this man's occupation, his profession in this moment becomes praise. He is not just imparted with a healing. He is healed. Healing doesn't become his occupation. Praise becomes his occupation. He now is no longer possessed by silver and gold. But praise. You guys, come on. This is huge. Huge. Peter doesn't just impart the power of healing. He imparts a possession. Offers Jesus. And here's the wild thing. There's no altar call. There's no call to repentance. There's no call to salvation. There's no repeat three words after me. And then you can be saved. It's not, that's not what's happening. The man is simply asking for money. But because of what Peter and John are ruled by, but because of what they are possessed by, they're offering something that is of, of, of working on silver and gold. And it's not a matter of whether or not, because we know, we know, we've read it. The end of chapter two tells us what? The people sold their possessions, gave them to the apostles, and they did everything together. They lived in community. They had all things in common. They shared. Not a single person among them wanted for We know this. And I'm sure that the possessions that they had were worth money. So we can assume that there was money among them. But it is one thing to have money at your disposal, and it's another thing completely to be possessed by money. For money to become your source, for money to become the thing that rules your every decision. Different. Money is valuable. Can we all agree that? We need money to do stuff, right? I mean, right now, we are all comfortable because of money, right? We've got the heat on, we've got lights going. You can hear me because we have a sound system. Money does great things for us. But we can't serve money. We serve God. I want to read, I want to read a word to you. The prophetic 
if we regard it the way that it should be regarded, it's powerful. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives us to be able to hear his voice, know him better, and follow him more closely. Yes? Everybody agree on that? Yes. Everybody in here has been touched by the prophetic, I can guarantee you. I know firsthand that everybody in here has been touched by the prophetic at some point in their life. What you did with that is a whole other story. But I know that you've been touched with it. And this is something that God had said to me. I don't remember when. I am looking for hearts free from birthplace rights to steward my nations rightly and for all. Those who are smeared with the essence of the kingdom. I'm looking for those whose devotion is found in me, not earthly provision or possession. Where are those that will call things that aren't as though they are? And this is exactly what we see played out in the story. Let me read it to you again. I'm looking for hearts free from birthplace rights to steward my nations rightly and for all. Those who are smeared with the essence of the kingdom. I'm looking for those whose devotion is found in me, not earthly provision or possession. Where are those that will call things that aren't as though they are? What does it mean to be free from birthplace rights? This is really hard for those of us that live in America. Because it's the, it's the land of the free. It's the pie in the sky land. It's, you can have anything you want land. But what happens when the Lord starts stripping everything away from your life? What happens when God starts taking everything that's familiar away from your life? When he's like, you're saying yes? Do you want to serve me? Give up your occupation. Give up your provision. And he will take you to the lowest of the low places as far as being an American is concerned. What is he, what is he doing? What is God doing? God, why are you stripping me clean of everything that I know? Why? I can offer something of value and worth to the next person that comes in front of me. The right thing. If we're offering anything outside of Jesus, we are not offering the right thing or the full thing. It's Jesus. Our eyes have to be fixed on him. You know what I will do? If I have all kinds of provision all around me. I will use all of that up before I see the name of Jesus. It is what has been inbred in us. Get a job. I'm sorry. Go to school. Get a job. Make a way. Buy a house. Buy a few cars. Get rich. Anybody? So when God is saying that, that 
He's looking for hearts free from birthplace rights. He's asking, are you willing to have a speaking of part-time part? Are you willing to have a heart transplant? Are you willing to give up your American heart for a heart that's for the nations? You guys, we're no good to the nations under the rule of the American dream. We're not. Because the American mentality is, I have all the answers, I can fix all your problems. And this is the problem with our missionary work. We go over into other countries and we do things based on our knowledge of our land and the American dream. And it all crumbles and falls the second that we leave because we never bothered to understand other nations because we hold all the answers. We're arrogant. We're an arrogant country. Very prideful. And God wants us free from that. He wants to be able to move us into various spaces. I mean, those of you that were here when Laura Beth was here, you heard. You heard what she said. There's a warship with our name on it. And it's going into various nations. And also the nations are coming here. What good are we to other nations if the American dream is the only thing that we know? The only thing of value is the kingdom dream. It's the only thing of value. You can continue to play out the American dream. I'm not going to take that from you. I'm going to allow you to yield to God and surrender. Not my job. But it is my job to tell you there is another And it will hurt like hell in the moment. I'm not going to lie to you. It will hurt to have everything stripped away. It will hurt. One second, you're just doing the things you know to do. And then God sends along a prophet to tell you that God is going to do a heart transplant to replace your American heart with a heart for the nations. And you're like, ooh, that sounds fun. <laughs> That's great. That's excellent. But do you know to do a heart transplant, there's a lot of clipping and cutting that takes place to be able to transplant that heart? There's a lot of things that have to be torn away to be able to put in a new heart. And your ribs have to be broken. Ouch. You don't like that. We just don't rightly weigh the things that God is saying to us. We get caught up in the outcome. What does it look like for Angie to go to the nations? That sounds I never weighed the part where everything would be. And I would be like this. And Peter's already not curious. He's already been stripped of everything. Every ideal that these men would have had on what it means to be Jewish has been challenged. Everything. And you still see them. You still see them going to the temple to pray. Because it's what they know. But this man, 
And all the people, wait, let's back up to eight. Um, and leaping up and about, he stood and began to walk. And he entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God. This is a scene. Somebody should have informed Zoe of what this actually looked like. <laughs> That's true. She would have made a scene of only. Would you? Yeah. Do you want to do it now? I thought so. <laughs> Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him. That he was the one who had been sitting for alms at the temple's beautiful gate, and they were filled with amazement and astonishment at what had happened. And while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people ran together toward them at the portico called Solomon's greatly amazed. This man wastes no time. He wastes no time. And in fact, unfortunately, look, I've seen healings take place. And it does not look like this. And so I think that we talked about this on Wednesday night, like we have a fear of the Lord problem. <laughs> Like we just, we don't get it. We don't, we don't have any reverence for him. We don't stand in awe of him. This man, his life is completely rearranged in a single moment. And I've seen people healed and there's no transformation in their life whatsoever. That's not the fullness of what's available. The fullness of what's available isn't just single healing, isn't just a man being able to stand and walk. It's the transformation, the complete transformation of a life. Like I said, his occupation went from begging to praising. This man is setting a standard for praise. And I think that's absolutely stunning. And I want us to hold on to a picture of this, of what, because we're chasing after healing, right? Everybody's interested in healing. Everyone thinks that's fascinating that God heals people. I think that's fascinating. But let's not stop short. Let's believe for the full transformation also. He was healed and changed. Healed and changed. We can even look at, at Peter's life here. Peter was healed and changed. It's a, it's a changing of what possesses us. See, we love the idea of a good goosebump in the presence of God, but we don't really love the idea of everything changing. If God were to reach down and touch you right now and give you access to complete transformation, what would you do with it? In all sincerity, what would you do with it? What would you know to do with it? Would everything change? Would you become the change agent in your community? Are you willing to give up your former practices, whether sinful or not, 
Are you willing to lay everything down, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow hard after Jesus? Because that is the ask. We've turned Christianity into a social club. You're allowed to hang around as long as you, you know, give every now and then and maybe show signs of life. Fill a seat. That's a big one. It's just become a social club. There's no demand that you must die to yourself to live. But that is it. You do have to die to follow Jesus. There's no other way. You guys, there is no other way. There's no other way. It is one way. There is one way to follow after Jesus. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. That is the way. It's not die a little. Die a little here, die a little there. It's not it. Yeah, not like that. Just die. Follow Jesus. It is the call. Whether it's one you want to surrender to is a completely different story. And you won't know if you want to surrender to that invitation until you learn who Jesus is. Once you have a full revelation like Peter did, oh my gosh, you're the Christ. At that point, when you're brave enough to really look and see who he is, at that point, you'll be like, I surrender all. Because he's so worthy. If you wonder why you can't actually pull this off, it's because you refuse to look at the fullness of the glory of God. You are so distracted that you cannot actually look full on in his beautiful face and cry out, I surrender all. But that is what is being asked of you. And so if you are someone in here who is ready, I'm not even asking you to make a decision for Jesus. I'm just asking, like, are you someone who's ready to, to be able, you're willing to be able to look in the fullness of the face of Christ and be changed? It is as simple, like Robin said earlier, ask. Jesus laid out a very clear plan. Ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. Ask him. I want to see your face. Seek. You know, for me, like seeking him, that can look like so many different things. Seeking him, like reading my Bible, I can find Jesus anywhere in this thing. Anywhere. I just have eyes for him. I can find him anywhere. So I can seek for him in my Bible. I can also seek for him in those that surround me. Knock. He says, knock and the door will be open. What a promise. That we can knock and he'll open the door. We're invited in. All the way in. 
So if you're someone that just really wants to take that initial step, like Jesus, I want to see you in the fullness. Will you just pray with me? Jesus, I, I, I've heard things about you. I've heard that you're good. I've heard that you do really neat things. I want to see it for myself. Jesus, I want to look full into your face. I want to experience you firsthand. I don't want to just live off of other people's stories. I want to experience you firsthand, Jesus. Jesus, I'm desperate to see you. Desperate to see you in a bigger To experience you in fullness. Open my eyes. I want to see you. All right. Guys, have a blessed summer. Thank you. And we'll see you Wednesday evening. Stay tuned for dinner plans. <laughs>